Hello and welcome to another installment of Conf T with URSE. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco certified partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young, and today we're talking about zero trust. Joining me today is my co-host, Joey D. How's it going, Joe? Doing great, Brian. Thanks. And also joining me today is our special guest, Catherine McNamara, Cybersecurity Technical Solutions Architect and Double CCIE. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Happy to have you. So I brought you on today because um, when it comes to all topics, Cisco, especially with ICE, I usually think your name usually comes top of mind. Um, definitely very well known around the the Cisco uh, security crew around here uh, as a as a definitely a, a name that's that's recognized. Um, and I'm I wanted to invite you today to chat with us about zero trust so we can kind of dive into what it is and where it fits best. So, Catherine, if you want to just kick us off here, what is zero trust? What do we mean when we say that term zero trust? Yeah, no problem. Um, so kind of taking a look at zero trust, we have to kind of go back to the way that things used to be when it came to securing a network. The traditional network security was castle fortress, where you have a strong outer, you know, perimeter-based defense. But uh, you know, this the problem with this age-old model is that if there's a breach on the inside, somebody takes a laptop home and brings it back, someone's VPNing in, that, you know, that uh, hard, crunchy uh, outside exterior doesn't really do anything if there's a threat inside. So what Zero Trust right. tries to do is it takes that takes that dynamic and uh, puts it on its head. You know, back in the day we uh, referred to borderless networks as kind of a marketing term, and um, but in reality, the Zero Trust architecture was built to look at that because we don't really have. You know, networks that are just like people log in and are only on the network and that's you know where they stay with the the workforce these days there's people that work from home travel there's uh right. you know they take their work laptops home get work done bring it back and uh you have to be able to to kind of protect your network and protect your your uh your intellectual property based on anything that might happen inside the network as well. So what zero trust really means is least privilege access, basically granting access, but making it specific and not just from a network perspective, but from also from the applications and the data as well. So, um, you know, just, uh, you know, before we go further, like, uh, you know, one of the things that zero trust does is it, it focuses on data protection, not on an attack itself. It assumes that the mm -hmm. environments, uh, it, whether it's inside the, the network, you know, so inside your perimeter or outside, all en environments are hostile and breached already. And no access is given to the user or the device until it's proven to be trusted. And that trusted, what trusted means is it's a, uh, it's not just a, a, you know, something that's once you're trusted, you're on and you're allowed to have access to anything. It looks, a trust should be a continuum. You know, for example, if somebody changes their behavior or if they're logging in with, you know, my home PC versus my, my, lockdown computer that's provided by corporate, your trust level should be different. And it should be something that can change even after you log in. We, it's moving more away from binary decisions of yes, no, you should have access to, you know, is your trust, should should it change over time? Um, and then it's, it's looking at and authorizing and encrypting all transactions and flows, not just, you know, you have access and you're on forever type of thing. So that that's, that's what zero trust is. And the original three tenets of zero trust were to eliminate network trust, 
segment network access, and gain network visibility and analytics. And that was great if you're looking at just inside your network. So they had to add uh, some additional tenants to Zero Trust from the original the original tenants, the original pillars. And, and the, those were zero trust people. So basically authenticate the users and continuously monitor them as their, ac their access and privileges. Zero trust your workloads. So basically enforce controls uh, across the entire app stack and essentially the connections between like different containers, VMs, hypervisors, and then zero trust your data, basically securing and managing that data and ca categorizing it based on, you know, what, uh, the data classification and schemas, and then encrypting that data both at rest and in transit. So those were the uh, the original pillars of zero trust and what was extended to it. And that's what we contempt, you know, we think of it with zero trust these days. This is all very fascinating, and I, I, I'm as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of the, all these different scenarios that we've, you know, heard of in the news of or corporations being breached. I'm, I'm thinking of the Equifax hack recently, right? Um, you know, trusting the connection, right? There was a trust of the application, the Apache web server, whatever that got owned originally into this database that had a lot of private information. And that trust was violated by and used by a malicious actor to use that connection to pull out all that data and, you know, eff effectively make that, cause that breach. Um, you know, you bring up a lot of good points here. It's not just verifying just the users, right? We need to make sure that Karen really is accessing only what Karen is supposed to. Um, but also when you're, when you are acting as a malicious actor here and you're acting as, you know, someone else, making sure that that application is doing what it's supposed to be, having access to the data that it's supposed to, not, um, not the data it's not supposed to, or the application is operating, uh, in a way that, that seems that's normal, right? We we uh, we touch upon a lot of the stuff that you've mentioned before with umbrella and endpoint being the being the kind of like the protecting of the edge right that soft gooey center is is really vulnerable once you get past that hard outer shell so it's good to see that there is such a, a term like this and it it sounds like that's kind of the goal uh, to go towards and with that in mind do you see a lot of organizations that really kind of are embracing this idea that realize that the days of the hard outer shell and the GUI center are over and they really need to take a look at protecting the network more from the inside? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that every single uh, client that I've talked to in probably the last six months have some sort of zero trust initiative or they're looking at, and it's not necessarily they're going 100% zero trust, but they're trying to get as, as there or uh, or at least like three fourths there as they can, because they do realize that it's not just here, we protect the outside, we segment the network and that's it. You know, there's a lot of things in terms of protect, you know, protecting how their workloads communicate with each other. Uh, as we're moving away from uh, on-prem data, data centers and cloud applications, you have to be able to protect that cloud as well, and those apps in the cloud. Um, being able to protect the data, whether it's, you know, sitting on AWS or in your data center, it's got to be treated the same way. And if somebody's off your network and um, accessing like a SaaS app or or a web server that's sitting on AWS, your network segmentation isn't going to do crap for that. Pardon my French. Right. I hope, hope crap is okay. <laughs> crap is fine. We've said much worse on this show. All right, good. <laughs> but yeah, your your network segmentation from inside the network isn't going to do anything to protect that 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 connection from that user sitting on a VP, uh, sitting on, you know in Starbucks 
connecting to your web server and trying to and accessing data there. So what you have to be able to do is to dynamically be able to assess trust, authorize those flows, and be able to identify the user and device, whether they're on-prem or off-prem. Now, for customers that are looking at starting a zero trust that are maybe listening to this uh, episode and they're like, wow, I, I need to do something. Like, I didn't realize how bad it really is. Is there any like low-hanging fruit, maybe like multi-factor, for example, that, that would be kind of good first steps, uh, good network security hygiene to be able to start uh, a user or customer down the, the road of zero trust? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the first things is probably uh, establishing like user trust, for example, multi-factor authentication is, is probably the number one lowest hanging fruit. Uh, one of the re recent Cisco uh, acquisitions was Duo and we, we, we acquired Duo for that purpose. It's the number one reason is that it's probably one of the easiest multi-factor authentication uh, tools that are easiest to implement. And it also mm -hmm. establishes not only user trust, but device trust. So it can do things right. like uh, doing like some uh, device posture to determine if that device uh, is a trusted device. Is it jailbroken? Is it using an out-of-date OS? Things like that, that you can't, you know, you know, things like ICE can help you assess those things on-prem before that you're allowed on the network. But if you're sitting in a Starbucks, something like a Duo or a, uh, some kind of multi-factor authentication that that also does device posture will be able to be be helping secure your devices even off the network. Second thing would be you know gain visibility not only from the perspective of who's on your network and what they're connecting to, but workload to workload. So how are devices or VMs or workloads in your data center or cloud communicating with each other? So there's things like StealthWatch Cloud, Tetration that can help you with that and help you build whitelists and, and determine if something's misbehaving or you know behaving anomalously. The reality is that even if you're not taking action, you still want to have that visibility first to be able to kind of gain gain an understanding of what your norm is and help you to determine that device that workload or device trust. Um, and then, of course, uh, the establishing device trust that can also be done that can be done both with ICE and with Duo. Um, Duo works great for just having that device trust for the application access, ICE for even allowing you on the, the network itself, that posturing for getting onto the network when you're local or you're VPNing in. Um, Very cool. Yeah, those are the kind of the low hanging fruit that I would focus on first. And then I'd work towards like work for uh, workload trust, um, you know, great, uh, you know, being able to determine like segment the applications and data workloads themselves. Okay. Very cool. So Duo, StealthWatch, ICE, uh, really kind of working together to protect the endpoint and add some trust uh, to the user and the device side on the Duo piece. Uh, StealthWatch to be able to analyze traffic flows and uh, ba basically build a, um, a map of what's normal and, and determine anything that falls out of that normalcy as, as possibly malicious. And then ICE to be able to uh, do the actual enforcement um, and and zero trust really on the on the network uh, the on-prem side. Yeah, and ideally at some point, like tetration for the workloads, like whether it's in the cloud mm. or uh, in your data center, 
because Stealthwatch can determine a lot, but uh, the amount of visibility you get from Tetration uh, as far as workload protection, it can help build those whitelists for your IP tables and create uh, and tell you how those applications are communicating. If something happens or is uh, anomalous, it can lock down that that workload and pre prevent it from communicating with other devices or even just you know the internet. If there's privilege escalations, you can you can uh, be alerted to it. If there are CVEs for the software that is installed on that workload, you can be alerted to that as well. So there's a lot of power that comes from the tetration side, and that's that's focusing more on workload than workforce. But mm -hmm. it is still an important piece because I think that with a lot of vendors and a lot of uh, a lot of the focus on zero trust, people tend to rely heavily on on uh, workplace and wor workforce uh, zero trust, and they don't tend mm -hmm. to look on workload as much. But that's still a very important key because a lot of those uh, a lot of those uh, uh, things that are happening in your data center and your workloads, they're not user authenticated. They're application to application. And you want to make sure if an application has been uh, compromised, you're able to see it immediately and lock it down. Right. And we've we've seen evidence of this with recent attacks. I'm thinking back to the uh, NotPetya attack, right, where the, the supply chain was actually um, taken advantage of and the, the executables and binaries actually changed. And, you know, the, the software was just, updated through regular update channels and now everyone's got the infected version. So yeah, it's important to understand those workflows because that's stuff that usually um, the network is not looking at, right? The, the person that's monitoring security is more looking at the, the people that are accessing those, uh, those applications or those devices, not necessarily looking at those application to application or machine to machine communications because you know, oh, well, this is just how it works. We need to have all these ports open. We need to use this service account. It needs to have access to all these things. And, you know, that's how it works. And no one really bothers to give it a second a second view. We've been actually um, talking about wanting to do a Stealth Watch and Tetration joint episode because I think that um, while there's definitely some differences between the two, uh, there are some similarities in, in terms of, um, you know, how it's going about analyzing this data. And uh, I think it's going to make for a good episode. So Glad you glad you uh, teased us that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting when I talk to uh, people about uh, Tetration and Stealth Watch, they focus on, on what's very similar, like the network analytics part of it. But there's right. so much that both do that are very different. Like I, I uh, that that uh, I tend to come back to like you know tetration is more like visibility onto the actual endpoint sees what you know can alert you on what processes knocked off what they did create whitelists mm -hmm. while tetration or stealth watch is more focused on network analytics what's happening on the network and algorithms are just based on uh, exploitation based on how the network traffic is flowing now they can both see network traffic and that's where they the that's where the overlap comes in but they do very va vastly different things if you kind of look you know take a step back right but i think both of them definitely have <laughs> you know, obviously because we sell them right they definitely have very uh very uh important uses in in a in a modern day network yeah absolutely Catherine, you mentioned the the three pillars there eliminate trust segment and what was the third one so there's actually six pillars. The, the original tenets of uh, zero trust, which were which we need, which were expanded on originally, were eliminate network trust, segment network access, and gain network visibility analytics. And that's great. Those pillars still exist, but the problem with that is it only really protects you on prem. So what they did uh, 
you know, the original people who were, were discussing, you know, Forrester and Gardner, the other, the original uh, Jericho forum is they kind of moved away from that and they added three different, uh, three extended pillars, zero trust people. So authenticate users and continuously monitor them. Zero trust workloads, enforce controls across the entire app stack, and then zero trust data, which is secure and manage that data. Make sure that it's encrypted both at rest and at transit. Gotcha. Yeah, I I had most of those, but I was missing that last piece there. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and it's it's funny too because the the network has become such a hostile place. Like the the fact that we have to talk about zero trust within within the confines of an organ any organization's network is it, it just blows my mind because it used to be, you know, you, and you plug, you go into an office building, there's an open port, you plug in, there you go. You got access to just about anything you need. Then we had some authentication, maybe 802.1X, um, you know, so we start securing things, but it's way beyond that now. It's, it's, it's beyond the, it's to the point where you can't trust applications anymore. You have to make sure the applications are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And if there's anything that veers off of that, you need to take action on it. So it's it's pretty uh, pretty interesting how we've how we've come so far. <laughs> yeah, and think about it this way: like the the whole idea of this trust dynamic is looking at uh, device user and a lot of things uh, to kind of factor in whether or not you should have access data. So, for example, if I'm sitting on a Cisco network and I have my corporate machine and I'm part of like say the business unit for Firepower and I try to access Firepower source code, should I you know based on my role, my device, where I'm logging in from, all those things, maybe I should have access to it. Um, But if I'm VPNing in from home on my home PC that Cisco IT doesn't take care of, should I, regardless of my role, should I really have access to that data? Um, That's where, you know, maybe my trust level goes down at that point. And that, that Cisco is able to make that determination that, no, I should have access to certain things on the internet, but I should not have access to our most you know valuable intellectual property, or if I'm like accessing a SaaS app um, that might contain intellectual property, you know from a Starbucks, being able to determine if that's a Cisco PC versus not, or if you know looking at my behavior on that uh, that endpoint, what I'm doing, de- making a determination that my trust level should go up or down, and that's kind of where that dynamic ch- you know changes. We're moving away from di- binary decisions and more to make sure that it's not just some stolen uh, credentials that are being used. Because a lot of, I think it's something, it's some ridiculously large number that uh, most attacks or most breaches are caused by uh, stolen credentials. And so we take, we take that, try to authenticate the user, but also the device, you know, how their behavior is, is and, you know, basically assess trust based on a number of factors instead of just one thing. So yeah, thanks for all the info, Catherine. Um, we've talked about workforce, which is kind of defended with Duo MFA um, workload, which is defended with Tetration. Um, then as far as the workplace goes, with you know granting network access, segmenting users, what kind of is Cisco's solution for that part? So uh, even though it's not fo- zero zero trust is not focused just on network uh, segmentation, there is still a big component on there because. There are still going to be devices on your network that need to be segmented away from your users, um, such as IoT, that don't re- you know that don't engage in a user authentication, um, but are highly vulnerable. IoT devices, depending on the vendor, could have 
vulnerable software. They could be, you know, very easy to exploit. And you still need to actually segment that, not have your user base connected to them and also have east-west segmentation. So those devices might not, you know, they shouldn't necessarily talk to each other. And that's where something like ICE would come in. It would be able to securely identify and profile that device, allow it just the level of access, going back to zero, you know, what is zero trust? It's least privileged access. So giving it just that IoT device or that utility device, just the level of access it needs to function, but nothing more. And as far as the users are concerned, you still want to make sure that they're segmented like from an east-west perspective, because if somebody gets, uh, it's going back to, we don't trust anybody, if even, you know, we don't trust the, the network, we assume it's breached. So we want to make sure that if one user gets breached inside of our network, they're not able to propagate malware, for example, east, you know, on east to west and infect our whole user base. So segmentation is still important there. Something like security group tags, which can easily prevent that, uh, that east-west prog- propagation, um, segmenting our guest users that we, you know, those devices we don't manage that are just kind of the wild, wild west onto their own guest network. Still very, very important when you're on the network because reality is, um, yeah, we, we're not necessarily going to trust every single user and device. We're going to we're going to have multiple controls to determine their their trust, but we still don't want to allow you know one exploited endpoint to propagate you know and and take out our whole entire uh, user base. We're still going to want to protect those users and and basically put them in their own buckets and keep keep them separated from each other. That makes a lot of sense. Now, when we're talking with ICE specifically, this doesn't matter what form of access, right? Wired, wireless, VPN. We're we're still looking at not in the cloud. We, we're not doing anything in the cloud with ICE, but as far as workloads and and AWS environments with various machines there. Um, but on the in the corporate network. It doesn't matter which which way you're connecting, right? It's just a matter of authenticating who you are, figuring out what security group that you belong in, what things you have access to, and then enforcing those rules. Um, and then what about um, what about something like a, a change? What happens when, let's say, it is later determined that I don't know the, a device has been infected with something, or um, the actor is, has turned bad? Maybe they're doing something not supposed to. What what do we have? Uh, do we have anything to cover that? Yeah, and that that's where ICE could help help with that. Uh, ICE, if especially if they're connected to our our local network, you know, via VPN, uh, wired wireless, we have the ability at that point to quarantine them. Um, and quarantine, just so you know, in ICE, it's something I have to explain to customers a lot. Quarantine means whatever you want it to be. So quarantine could mean uh, completely kick them off the network. Take them to a, a you know a splash page saying please contact help desk or it could be move them from having internal access to just internet access if you don't want to completely you know disrupt everything that they they could potentially do but but the reality is you can ice can be used as that engine to be you know once something's determined how it should have less access to be able to move their network level of access to something you know more restrictive until they're you know determined to be more secure or they're determined to be mitigated, so to speak. So uh, ICE is very much in play here, uh, both as from the network segmentation point of view, but also from an enforcement point of view when trust changes. Very cool. And it sounds like it's very flexible too. Yeah, and and it can take information from like things like Stealth Watch, uh, Ampher Endpoints, uh, uh, you know, Qualys, uh, Rapid7. Uh, it can make changes based on a number of things thanks to PXGrid or ThreatCentric NAC. Um, one, uh, one of the um, 
kind of the golden templates of what a great zero trust implementation is, is something called Google's Beyond Corp. Uh, Google Beyond Corp uh, implemented zero trust very early on, at, and that's what their model is. It's it's a white paper called Google's Beyond Corp. If, sorry if I made that a uh, uh, little confusing. And one of the things there is, uh, you know, the way that they look at zero trust is secure and identify the device, secure and identify the user, uh, remove trust from the network. And what they do is they they use 802.1x auth and they basically check for device certs. So they're still using something like ICE or I don't know what vendor, that, their white paper is kind of vendor uh, uh, vendor. Uh, neutral and and but it does talk about 802.1x device certs you know a lot of things that ice can do um and then you know externalizing apps and workflows and implementing inventory based access control and all those things uh ice can do uh can help with and so it very much still plays into the zero into the zero trust architecture um it's not just focusing on giving app access and it's not just focusing on network segmentation it's a blend of both those things We'll definitely make sure to put a link to that uh, white paper in the show notes, as well as uh, any other references you can think of, Catherine. Yeah, there's actually a really, really good um, uh, zero trust talk at Cisco Live uh, in in San Diego by Aaron Woolen. Uh, That's also another one that I would have. If anyone's looking for a deeper dive into zero trust, he explains it perfectly and he did a good 90 minute session on it. And it's really awesome. Very cool. We'll definitely be sure to put a link to that in the show notes as well. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a plug here, Catherine. I was going to wait to the end, but I think it's uh, uh, pertinent to what we're talking about. Uh, your website, network-node.com. Um, great tutorials on how to set up things like ICE, Firepower. I've uh, I've seen a lot of good tutorials uh, and taken a lot of from your website with setting up um, some of my stuff in my home lab, uh, and it's been extremely helpful. So if you're Looking at implementing this in a in a lab environment, uh, kind of playing around with it, getting your um, getting your toes wet. Definitely check out our website again. It's network node.com and we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for that as well. Yeah, I've, I probably owe a good uh, um, zero trust blog post at some point in the future. Well, there you go, and you can you can put a link to the podcast up there. <laughs> Absolutely. So. ICE can be, when I talk to my customers about ICE, and I deal with mostly, we don't call them mid-market anymore, but um, commercial accounts, relatively, you know, medium-sized, right? Um, And ICE is usually a pretty big ask for my customers because it can be a very complex product. It's a very robust tool, uh, lots of customization, but usually the customers that I deal with don't always have the technical expertise and staff and budget to be able to implement something like this. So, you know, for those that are kind of looking at that, what would you say to the customers and that are kind of in that position that don't think that they can do, they think this is maybe too much for them? So um, that's a good question. Um, I would say that uh, I would take on a walk, crawl, run, uh, approach, uh, or crawl, walk, run approach. The reason being is that, uh, see, ice is one of those things that it can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. It could be just authenticating the user and allowing them on the network, or it could be authenticating the device and the user, you know, using certs, making it, you know, adding, you know, layers by adding like, uh, 
integrations with third-party products, other Cisco products. But I think that the um, the reality is when a lot of people take on ICE, they, they look at all the things they can do and kind of plan it all in. And really, you have to take it in steps. Uh, I'd start with something like wireless first, because with wireless, it's really easy to fall back to... Uh, to a uh, another SSID if if something goes wrong, but reality is that it's really easy, to, in my opinion, to implement it via wireless. Uh, mm-hmm. Then VPN, uh, and then I kind of get a plan for you know what wired. Um, there's a lot of tr- tips and tricks on my blog in terms of like ways you can kind of implement it switch by switch, uh, or um, ways to like kind of do monitor mode before you actually go into an implementation. It's not as hard as you like from somebody who deployed it when I was like t- two years into my networking career, I can tell you that it was not as hard uh, once you get labbing it and trying it out. But you really have to have a clear roadmap of where you're trying to go. Not Don't just look at all the features ICE can do because there's a lot and you can get really bogged down and, oh, I want this. I want this. I want this. And it can get really complex fast. Look at mm-hmm. there's a, a free high level design uh, like like template on the uh, Cisco ICE communities, download that, determine like basically what you want to do. ICE is just a tool to help you get, get there. But do you want to allow BYOD? Do you want to allow personal devices? Do you want to allow just network, you know, uh, just trusted computers? Um, What kind of devices are on your network? Try kind of determine what you're looking to do. Are you just looking for ICE for visibility or enforcement or segmentation? And kind of build out a plan there. It's it's good to know where you're trying to go before you try to implement something. And and as awesome as ICE is, get the basics of what your your business objectives are implemented first before you try to start adding all the bells and whistles. Because if you try to do it all at once, it will feel incredibly complicated, and it will get you know you will run into things that will slow you down. So just kind of take a step back. You know, right. Look at that high level uh, design, high level design, and fill in the blanks of what you're trying to do. Are you looking for device level uh, authentication, or are you just looking for user authentication, or both? Are you looking to just allow like authenticate access and not worry about authorization, or are you looking to get kind of dive d- deep and do roles based access? Kind of determine like basic first, and then build on that. And, and you know, the the wa- the crawl would be. Wireless first. Uh, walking would probably be like implementing, uh, implementing like uh, just authentication and not authorization yet. And then as you move forward, you'll kind of you know get more and more complex with your policies. But don't try to do it all at once. It will feel complex, and it's kind of like um, a- anything with networking or like with uh, just security in general. You kind of have to, you you, you kind of have to get. Start a little bit less restrictive, and then get more and more restrictive with your policy as you take steps to you know going into it. So it sounds to me like the the whatever objections a user a customer might have, they have no excuse. They re- they really don't. This is something that they need to do, and this is something that they can ease themselves into uh, with low hanging fruit such as Duo, um, wireless um, protection there, and then kind of easing into it to the point where they get to more complex policies to really effectively enforce zero trust. And we'll be sure to put a link on the high-level design template as well uh, for anyone that's looking to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other thing I would actually say is uh, the thing I see a lot of customers get bogged down in is day two support. Um, Mm -hmm. Always have a plan. This is just 
Pro tip, have a plan to have your help desk trained with some basic guide of, um, and I have one linked on my blog. I'll give it to you to also link on this podcast. But basically like a help desk guide that basically says, uh, you know, here's how to troubleshoot the the device. Here's how to check inside of ICE to see if the device was even seen or if it was a password, like wrong password, things like that. So every single device, you know, that doesn't connect to the network doesn't automatically become like shot over to the network team and the help desk is able to offload that. That's also another thing that I could see getting very sticky. And I've, I have seen that with customers, just not good uh, day two implementation practice. Because a lot of times, like I would say 90% of the time, it's probably not a nice issue or 95. Uh, it's probably just like user enters the wrong password, user went on the wrong SSID. And you don't want to have every one of those calls be shot over to you. Right. No, that that's that's great advice. And I've, I've definitely... Um gone down that road the, the live logs are awesome when it comes to trying to troubleshoot you know weird goings-ons and uh authentication and access on an ice protected network so that sounds like a really useful tool yeah there's like a nice uh built-in role uh inside of ice for help desks that doesn't give them the access to like a change policy but it gives them enough access so they can see live logs and they can do, like do that basic troubleshooting and that really will you know save your behind because even if you deployed it perfectly, if you have to get every single call for network access that isn't, it ends up not being ICE, you will go mad trying to like troubleshoot, you know, trying to handle the the deluge of calls. So it's just a matter of just good planning for what happens after. Yeah, as, as someone that started their IT career in help desk, it's, it's frustrating when you don't have the tool access to the tools you need because it's a quote unquote network issue and you're just a lowly help desk guy. And <laughs> so it, that's really smart to, include that uh that role there for help desk technicians to be able to get into the system and kind of like a read only right just to kind of see what's going on to help them troubleshoot exactly awesome plus it's better that's i was just gonna say it was better from a user experience point of view too because nobody likes calling the help desk getting transferred to another team waiting on hold and then you know finding out they entered their password wrong yeah, and and let's face it, the networking guys they don't pick up the phone. Like they they're not in a rush to pick up the phone. Not like the help desk guys. So pick up fo- help desk guys. Phone rings once you pick it up. Network guys will go to voicemail. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. Um, I think the I think we just about went through everything, Catherine. Um, is there anything that else that you can think of that you'd like to cover as we uh, wrap this one up? Uh, no, I think I'm pretty good. I hopefully I answered all of your questions and this was useful for anyone who's listening in. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely learned something. Joe, what, what do you think? Uh, you have any other questions or uh, any comments you'd like to add in? Yeah, no, I think that was a great explanation of what zero trust is. And, you know, if a customer has an initiative to do it, you know, I think we gave them the first few steps to take. Yeah, definitely. Uh, take a look at the links in the the show notes uh, definitely have some uh, good material in there to get started. And as always, reach out to your Cisco account team. They may or may not have access to Catherine, uh, but you uh, at, between hearing her today and uh, the account team uh, that you guys have and um, the resources that they have, I'm sure that uh, they'll be able to help to guide you down the road to getting to zero trust. Uh, so Catherine, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. And thank you for listening to Conf T with URSE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can hear special guests like Catherine every two weeks. 
Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to say that config.